I was a kid growing up in Jersey. Uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call him a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Rob the Headless Thompson Gunner. And January 24th, 2021 would have been the 74th birthday of the late, great Warren Zevon, one of the most imaginative, prolific, and uh, inventive singer-songwriters to uh, ever come down the pike. And to celebrate the unique relationship that Warren Zevon had with Bob Dylan is my pal and returning Bobcat, Harry Hugh. Hi, Harry. Hi, Rob. How are you? I'm doing great. It's been way too long since you have been on the show, so I'm very excited to have you back. Well, thank you kindly for having me. It's a great pleasure to be back on the show. Yeah, so we've been you know, talking constantly over on Twitter, but it, it dawned on me that it's been quite a while since we did a show together. Now, it's very interesting because the first show you did with me on Pod Dylan was about Bob Dylan covering a Grateful Dead song, Black Muddy River. Um, and now we're talking about Bob Dylan and Warren Zevon. So what is it with you and Bob Dylan song? Why can't you just come on and talk a regular Bob Dylan song? What's that about? Well, I'm like Dylan and Zevon. I'm, I'm, I break all the rules, man. <laughs> Absolutely. Was, I like being able to bust the format occasionally, and I am a big fan of Warren Zevon. And so, so yeah, you pitched this to me a little while back, and we were waiting for sort of the right moment to do it. And so, as I said, uh, it's going to be uh, would have been Warren's 74th birthday over on the, on January 24th. So I thought now's as good a time as any. So let's 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 wind back the clock a little bit. Like Harry, how did you? I usually ask people how they discover Dylan. I'm going to ask you how they discover Warren Zevon's music. Yeah, actually, I mean, it was just uh, about the same age. Uh, I mean, I, I became a Dylan fan, I, I guess, when I was 9 or 10, but I really became a diehard when I was about 14, 15. And that's the same time I uh, I uh, got into Warren Zevon. And with Warren, I, I skipped all the uh, all the intermediary stages. I just went straight to diehard. <laughs> the, the thing I love about Warren Zevon's music is it's weird, and I'm a weird man. And before that, I was a weird boy. And I remember when I first heard a Warren Zevon song, I was immediately, I was immediately all in. I know uh, uh, Bonnie Raitt had that great line: "You have to be truly twisted to get Warren," which <laughs> she meant as a compliment. I don't know if that's true because I've never not been twisted, so I can't say if a non-twisted person could get him. But uh, I can confirm in my case that uh, I am twisted and. I'd like to think I get Warren Zevon. That's that's one of the reasons I suggested this topic. There's only about four or five things I know anything about in life. So anytime there's an opportunity to uh, speak about one of those subjects, I have to seize upon it. I will admit, uh, I knew of him uh, kind of like similar to how I knew Dylan is that before I became a diehard, as you as you say, uh, I knew the hits, you know, of Bob Dylan. I knew the hits, and then I started, then I did the deep dive. And with Warren Zevon, I I'm ashamed to admit that up until basically like the 90s i only knew werewolves of london that was the only song i knew now i knew i liked that song but i didn't know any of his other songs as far as i knew and then uh back when we were in art school uh, my roommate had a best of warrens even like a greatest hits collection and he would play it all the time and i was like wow i really like all of these songs <laughs> yeah at lawyers guns and money rolling the hellas thompson gunner excitable boy uh, poor poor pitiful me uh, tenderness on the block. I was like, boy, I, I, I mean, I was like, I like every single one of these songs. And so, as you said, 
he's weird. I don't want to say that he's kind of like a more distilled Bob Dylan because that's, I think, a reductive way of saying it. And it's probably an insult to both of them in their own, you know, in a way. But it's sort of like Warren Zevon's songs were like nastier and more acidic, if that's even possible. But they kind of seem that way. And I could, you could sort of see the through line of how Zevon would have been inspired by Bob Dylan and sort of then took it in his own direction. Uh, so, you, so I feel like you can see the influence, but at the same time, there aren't any, again, I'm not an expert on the catalog, but from my overview of Warren Zevon's catalog, to me, those are very specifically Warren Zevon songs. He didn't write Dylan-esque songs in the beginning of his career, kind of like Springsteen did or stuff. Warren Zevon kind of really set out on his own path from the very beginning. And that's what I always sort of liked about him. And uh, where do we want to start, Harry? Where do we start with this? Like, what's, Bob and Warren overlap quite a bit, both as fans of each other's work and then also on a professional level. So, like, where, where should we start here? Well, I, I think I'll just pick up on what you said about, uh, you know, you only knew Werewolves of London, which places you in the, the company of, I think, 99.9% right. of the people who've, who've heard the name Warren Zevon. But, you know, I've never, it strikes me, I mean, I've, I was going to say I've never met a Warren Zevon fan who, I mean, I've hardly met any Warren Zevon fans in, in actual life, but in mm-hmm. virtual life, I, I've never encountered a casual Warren Zevon fan. Like either, <laughs> you're either, you either fold or you're all in. Right. And, and, you know, it's, it's interesting when I think of Warren and what it's like to be a fan of his, for some reason, I think of that Joan Baez quote from No Direction Home, where she's talking about Dylan and she says, uh, there are no veils, curtains, doors, walls, anything between what pours out of Bob's hand onto the page and what's somehow available to the core of people who are believers in him. You know, some people say not interested, but if you're interested, he, he goes way, way deep. And it, it's the same with Warren, only, only the club is, far, is uh, far smaller. With Dylan, um, even if folks aren't fans, he's been famous for so long that most people at least know the name, whereas, you know, with Warren, that's not the case. Right. Or if they do, I, yeah, yeah, if they do, they only know werewolves. Right. Yeah. The, uh, there was an, ep- we, we've been rewatching, uh, the Larry Sanders show on HBO Max lately. And there was an episode that Warren Zevon was on and there's this whole running gag with where, Gene Sisko. Uh, yeah. With Gene Sisko, where they, they talk about where they, Larry wants him to play werewolves of London. And he's like, okay, oh, do I have to play that fucking song again? And he, he basically arm twists them into letting him play one of his less famous songs. And then they play it all the way through, which is nice. I, that was something I liked about the Larry Sanders show is that when they would have a musical guest on, they would often play the whole number as if they were really on the show. And so Warren plays this song and it's this beautiful sort of quiet piano ballad. And then they realize, Oh, we still have a little time left. Hey, Warren, will you do another song? And they're like, play werewolves of London. <laughs> he has this guy. And, and he does it dutifully, but it's like, I, I just, I thought, I just love that gag that he's just like, he's willing to make fun of himself. And it's like, yeah, all right. Yeah. Werewolves of London. Okay. All right. Yeah. I heard an interview with Judd Apatow. I, I, I know he worked on the Sanders show. I don't know if he worked on that episode specifically, but he told a story about going out to lunch with Zivon and uh, he said it was like a revelatory experience in, in terms of, I guess he was working on stuff, some stuff and he was getting notes from the network and uh, and warren just looked at him uh you know incredulously and, and said why would you ever take notes like why would you ever accept notes <laughs> and judd apatow said that 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 you know the jolt of that perspective changed the changed his outlook in terms of you know if you're if you're committed to something why would you let anybody uh you know pollute your thoughts with uh and, and I mean, I think Warren was committed to that, uh, you know, to his own detriment to some extent. He was just so such a, 
uh, fearless individual. He certainly seemed to live a life like that. I mean, there I remember reading stories about him doing playing a concert at some point, and like he literally got so drunk he fell off the stage and smashed into a table. I thought, oh lord, you know, <laughs> he'll be taking. Well, we all have bad nights. Well, that's it's a good point. And I hope he takes better care of himself. Um, there's a quote I want to read here from Bob Dylan where they he was talking about uh, Warren Zevon, and he mentioned some of these songs, and he, he said, "This is the quote." He says. Lawyers, Guns, and Money, Boom Boom Mancini, Down Hard Stuff, and then Bob adds, uh, Join Me in L.A. sort of straddles the line between heartfelt and primeval. His musical patterns are all over the place, probably because he's classically trained. There might be three separate songs within a Zivon song, but they're all effortlessly connected. Zivon was a musician's musician, a tortured one. Desperado, Under the Eaves, it's all in there. So what an extraordinary thing to say about a fellow songwriter, and I can only... Imagine, and I did see some some bits from Warren's even how we reacted to that of what it, you know what an enormous compliment that's got to be coming from Bob Dylan to say that about your songs. I mean, it, you know, that it's three yeah, separate you know, songs it, within a Zevon song. I mean, man, wow, that's a hell of a thing to say. And it speaks to a point which uh, I've stolen from uh, the writer Elizabeth Nelson because I love it, which is that Bob Dylan might be our greatest living critic. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, remember the uh, liner notes to uh, World Gone Wrong? And, and oh, they're amazing. Even, even what he says in Chronicles, it's it's incredible. I mean, I would, I've said this before, but I would love to hear Bob Dylan review Bob Dylan records. <laughs> That's my fantasy. You know, it's it's funny you say that because one of the things that, um, again, is what other what other context I'm going to get to mention this, and this is so Dylan nerdy, but again, this is the forum for such a thing. One of the things that I enjoyed about, and we'll talk about this shortly about Dylan covering Zemon Zemon directly, is when he did the, those series of, uh, of, of covers and he sings, uh, he covered Zivon's accidentally like a martyr, which of course features the phrase time out of mind. And I just thought it's a unique thing. Like we as Dylan oh. fans don't get to hear, this is so nerdy, but we don't get to hear Bob Dylan say his album titles that much. Uh, if they're not a song, you know what I mean? Like highway 61, that's a song or Tempest. That's a song but it were world gone wrong. But like, we never hear him literally say the phrase street legal or blood on the track. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it, it's like, so uh, when he covered accidentally like a martyr, it's just fun to hear him say for me, time out of mind. Cause they're like, uh, no, I, I know exactly what you mean. I, I made a little uh, video a couple uh, months ago about it, putting together clips of Bob Dylan talking about shot of love. <laughs> and in one, he's comparing it to Blonde on Blonde uh, and uh, Highway 61. And he's like pretending like he can't remember the names of them. Right. You know, Highway 61 or wherever it was. <laughs> Bob, come on. You know what you're talking about. Uh, yeah, I mean, one of the things that really I thought made this a, a fun episode to do was, of course, in the year in 2002 when Z. Well, actually, let me, let me, uh, oh. I, I got to get on that accidentally like a martyr point because. Sure. <laughs> It, it's, I feel passionately about this. And, and I think it was a couple of years ago, I made a mashup of Dylan and Zevon singing that song, okay. specifically the lines. I never thought I'd ever be so lonely after such a long, long time, time out of mind. And I shared it. I think I tweeted it on the anniversary of the release of Time Out of Mind. And I said something like, you know, if you're going to borrow, borrow from the best or something. <laughs> and somebody chimes in to suggest that, oh, Dylan got the phrase from Shakespeare, because in Romeo and Juliet, there's some bit that's, uh, you know, her her chariot is an empty hazelnut made by the joiner squirrel or old grub. Time Out of Mind, the fairies coachmakers, which 
whatever. Can, can <laughs> I say definitively that Bob didn't get the line from Billy Shakes and his little spiel there about the nut chariot? No, but I think the fact that we know Dylan was a Zevon fan, the fact that he sang the song where the phrase in question appears, and the fact that he always sang it with great gusto as if to underline the connection for the crowd. I'm just mm-hmm. saying, uh, I, I know what camp I'm in on this issue. I think we're in the same camp. Yeah. I hope yeah. we're in the same camp. Uh, yeah, no, I, I mean, we, we know now that, you know, Bob's been borrowing from all sorts of places. It's not all just Shakespeare. It's not all stuff from, it's not Henry Timrod. You know, sometimes it's more recent. Uh, and again, there'll, there'll even be another more recent mention in a recent song. But the, the thing that was so, uh, that when I think of Bob Dylan and Warren Zevon together, obviously, is the time in 2002 when Zevon was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And I remembered hearing that and feeling, you know, horrible that this uh, guy, this, this vital creative force was going to be struck down uh, as a rel- still relatively uh, young man. I mean, he was only in his 50s at that point. I did, as we said, um, I get the feeling that Warren Zevon kind of led a hard life, you know, kind of didn't maybe treat himself too terribly well and pushed himself in a lot of ways. But nevertheless, it was just awful, awful news. But then, you know, sort of unannounced, Dylan started covering Warren Zevon songs. And I was lucky enough to see one of those uh, when I saw Bob in Philadelphia on November 15th. Yeah, when I saw him on November 15th, 2002, he sang Mutineer. And that was a a Warren Zevon song that I was relatively unfamiliar with. But I just remembered thinking, what a beautiful, touching, and appropriate way to pay tribute to someone while they're still alive. You know, not not wait until they're gone, but do it. And not just a one-off, but this became a standard part of his sets all throughout 2002, enough to the point that Warren Zevon got wind of it. And there is, there's, an interview, there's an interview out there where Zevon talked about that he met with Bob backstage before one of Dylan's concerts, and they didn't talk about it at all. And then he went and sat down and watched the show, and bang – Bob starts singing some Warren Zevon songs. And Zevon was like, it's just beyond anything I could imagine. And I just, you know, I said this on a previous episode. I thought, you know, if your main uh, art, if your main art, the way you express yourself is through song, what better way to pay tribute to someone than to cover one of their songs? You know, I can't ever think of a better way of doing it. And I just, I, I just thought that was so graceful, such a wonderfully beautiful thing that Bob would do to remind people of this vital artist who we all know is in the news and is going to be leaving the scene at some point, but is still around now. And let's pay attention to him now. And he did these beautiful cards. He covered accident like a martyr we talked about. I know he did lawyers, guns and money, and he did mutineer at least. I may know. I wrote it down. He played mutineer 31 times, accidentally like a murder 22 Lawyer's Guns and Money four times, and he played Boom Boom Mancini once, which, which surprises me somewhat because that song is right up Dylan's alley, and I, I, I would think he would have played that as much as uh, he played the others, but I suppose Mutineer and uh, Accidentally Like a Martyr were more suited to the spirit of what he was trying to communicate. They're more poignant, they're gentler, whereas Boom Boom Mancini is just straight power. Could be. I mean, that Boom Boom Man City seems like a Dylan-esque song. We know he loves boxing so much. Uh, well, and that but- ties into the story of... Uh, of their first meeting, Boom Boom Mancini's on Warren's record, Sentimental Hygiene. And uh, you know the story of their first meeting? I, I don't know if I do. Yeah, the story of their first meeting is wild. So it, it, Warren was fond of telling this story. So he's in the middle of the sessions for, uh, I'm sure you know it, I'm sure a lot of the people know in this, uh, listen to this, know uh, 
the record he made, Sentimental Hygiene. And he walks into the studio, and it, it's like a scene out of a movie. The reception is like, yes, uh, uh, Mr. Dylan is here for you? <laughs> can, you, can, you can you imagine? So Dylan's wearing sunglasses and motorcycle boots. Warren wrote in his diary, he looked good. He looked like Dylan, which is a line I love. And then <laughs> Warren, Warren tells Bob what a big fan he was, and, and Bob said he'd heard about Warren through T-Bone Burnett. And uh, Bob said he, he, Bob actually said he reached out to Warren's management team to try and get in touch with him the previous summer. I think Warren heard later that Neil Young, who was recording in the in the same building at the time, was the one who suggested to Bob that he stop by. Neil Young plays lead guitar on Sentimental Hygiene, uh, the song uh, with the same name as the album. And uh, Bob stayed for two and a half hours. And Warren said he was nice, but uh, he didn't say much. And at one point, Warren asked him what he'd been up to. And Bob, <laughs> actually, I should say before I do this, you know, I was listening to your episode. I was listening to your episode about Hearts of Fire with uh, Rebecca, Rebecca Slamanich. You know, she's doing all these impressions. You know, she's doing Bob. She's doing Rupert Everett. She's doing uh, Fiona Flanagan. She's doing this stellar uh, Suzanne Burdish. And then you come in. You can, you got a pretty solid Bob, too. <laughs> I can't do Bob. I, I, like, I can do it in my head. But by the time it reaches my lips, it's, it's mangled beyond recognition. So I'm not going to try. <laughs> but anyways, Warren asked Bob what he's been up to. And Bob goes, traveling. And then... <laughs> Warren's manager, producer, this guy, Andy Slater, says to Bob, uh, Bob, you've been recording? And Bob goes, sometimes. And Warren said it was then he realized that Bob wasn't uh, so much into small talk. <laughs> but he said he was nice. And Warren asked Bob, you know, if he wanted to hear what they were working on. He said he did. They played him a few t- songs. Uh, Warren liked uh, a song called The Factory, on which uh, he ended up playing harmonica. And uh, this is a quick quote from Warren explaining how that happened. Quote, we asked Bob to play harmonica. He came back a week later and played harmonica. He wanted to play lead guitar, but, you know, we all want to play lead guitar. <laughs> but as I say, he was fond of telling that story. He told on Letterman. He told in some radio interviews. And he said years later, um, you know, after his diagnosis, that you know, that's what it's all about. He said having Dylan show up and, and giving him his, his seal of approval that was uh, worth a million records to him. <laughs> that's marvelous i said I, I knowing that knowing that bob is playing harmonica on the factory when i went back and listened to that song i'm kind of got an extra ear out for it you know like oh is that sounds like particularly dylan-esque harmonica i i, I wasn't you know i wasn't able to really tell like oh yeah that's clearly yeah, I, know. I mean Bob's honestly it's away one, there yeah exactly honestly it's one of those things where if you didn't know it was dylan you'd be like oh that, that's interesting but but i know it's dylan so i'm really i'm really uh <laughs> focused on this harmonica solo no he's really doing interesting things here you gotta yeah. listen closely yeah it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the uh i when i would when i would used to have to tell this to people that didn't know as much like in the wilburys video uh when at the end of that song and they're about to break into the harmonica solo and in the video you see roy orbison break out the harmonica and i would tell people like that's that's a gag because Roy, Roy Orbison's not playing harmonica on handle with care. That's clearly Bob Dylan, but in the video, they're just sort of goofing around, but getting back to, to, to Dylan playing on the factory. Now, of course they recorded that record on Gower Avenue in Los Angeles. And that song mentions uh, John F. Kennedy. And then it all comes well, I see back where you're going here. It all comes back around again in murder. Most foul, when Bob Dylan mentions Gower Avenue, and of course, what is Murder Most Foul about? But John F. Kennedy. I mean, it's like the, this stuff never leaves his brain. Oh, absolutely. And, um, you know, qu- actually, quick sidebar to that story, uh, finish off that story about sentimental hygiene. So Bob brought along his son, uh, who was just Bob's son at the time, but was 
was his son Jacob. And, oh, and, Jacob. Uh, okay. And uh, as I mentioned, Warren's uh, manager producer at the time was this uh, guy, Andy Slater. So Andy sees Bob in the control room. He says, you know, hi, Bob. I'm Andy. They shake hands. Then this kid says, uh, hi, I'm Jacob. I'm in a band. And Andy Slater would go on to manage the Wallflowers. I believe to this day, he is still Jacob Dylan's manager. Uh, wow. He and Jacob made a movie together a couple years ago called uh, Echo in the Canyon. And uh, I mean, Andy Slater credits uh, <laughs> basically Warren for uh, setting his whole career up. Wow, that's amazing. Do you, do you have, uh, what are your particular favorite Warren Zevon songs? Oh my God. I mean, the thing about Warren is he's got so many, it's like he's got different categories of songs, you know? Like he's got, he's got the ones that are just, that are just, uh, 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 you know, outlandishly uh, peculiar. Then he's, he does, the, he does, you know, he mixes, uh, he has these like sinister and, and sensitive impulses that uh, he mixes to great effect. But, you know, I mean, Desperados under the eaves, obviously. I mean, I'm one of these. See, uh, a lot of the profiles of Warren, even from uh, sympathetic uh, profilers, they kind of go, you know, this self-titled, excitable boy, and then they skip ahead to Life Will Kill You. They kind of elide the stuff in the middle, whereas I love all those records. I love Bad Luck, Streak and Dancing School. I love uh, The Envoy, Sentimental Hygiene. Love all those records. Mm. Yeah, I, uh, when I said I, I was learning the, the hits from the Greatest Hits record, and I really did like all those. I do love Lawyers, Guns, and Money. I mean, it's just such a beautifully powerful song. And it's funny, uh, when they ended up doing the, and we'll, we'll talk about more of this shortly, but when they did the, um, the tribute record, the Wallflowers uh, sang Lawyers, Guns, and Money on Letterman with Warren Zevon's son. Uh, and of course that, that song features the line, dad, get me out of this, which is, <laughs> you could take multiple ways depending on uh, who, who was singing it. I love Laura's guns and money. Uh, I, it was through Bob that I discovered mutineer. I'd never known that song until Bob started singing it. And I thought that's a really beautiful song. I love, uh, Mr. Bad example. I mean, we are living through that right now. Mr. Baddock. Well, I was going to say one of the reasons I was I was uh, uh, keen to talk about this is that you know Warren's the man for every moment, but but he's particularly the man for this particular moment. You know, sp- splendid isolation. Don't let oh. us get sick. Sentimental hygiene. Together, those those uh, those form the soundtrack of pandemic existence. Oh man, I mean, he said if you yeah if you go back yeah all those songs absolutely. If you go back, said if you go back and listen to Mr. Bad Example, and you listen to those, you're like my God, he is. How did he know who was going to be president in 2017? <laughs> I mean, that oh, song is exactly who that is. It's it's unbelievable. Well, and actually, you were talking about his son and, and the tribute record. His son does Studebaker on that on that That's record. Right. And and uh, actually, in recent years, my most listened to Zevon record might be Preludes, which is a collection of Zevon early Zevon uh, demos and outtakes. And it's got a song, "Empty Hearted Town" is killer. Rosarita Beach Cafe, which. He didn't write. It was written by this guy, Bill Martin. That's killer. And even like simple little ditties like Studebaker and Stop Raining, Lord, are awesome. What did you think about his cover of uh, Knocking on Heaven's Door on the, the final Oh, record? my God. Don't get me started. Uh, get me you're started. here to get started. What are you talking well, about? Yeah. Okay. Well, here's the thing. When Warren was young, right? It's kind of like you got to do both ends of that. So when Warren was young, he went through a, a green phase, as it's known in the uh, – psychological literature you know he bought all green garments he wore green glasses he painted his apartment green and as you do and he started calling himself Stephen lime all lowercase letters lime with a y and he formed this partnership with a girl he knew from high school named violet uh, santangelo and they called themselves lime and sabelle 
And they had a friend who had a mother who worked for this label called White Whale Records. And through that connection, they were able to record a single and it, it, it charted. And uh, they were able to record another single. And the next single they did was a cover of Dylan's If You Gotta Go, Go Now. Oh, right. And it didn't right, do right. as well. And that was basically all she wrote for the partnership. But, it, it, you know, it's a, it's a neat little trivia note. And I like it for two reasons. One, If You Gotta Go, Go Now is a killer song. And two, I find it cool that Warren basically started his r- recording career singing Dylan and ended it singing Dylan, because mm-hmm. as you said, Knocking on Heaven's Door, of course, is on Warren's final record, and it's one of my absolute favorite Dylan covers. I, I've said before, I'm sort of skeptical of the whole enterprise of Bob Dylan covers because of the opportunity cost. You know, every second spent listening to somebody other than Bob Dylan sing a Bob Dylan song is a second spent not listening to Bob Dylan sing a Bob Dylan song. But <laughs> Warren's version of Knocking on Heaven's Door is beautiful. It's beautiful, and it's crushing. Yeah, but it's it it's is. it's the good kind of crushing. It it crushes the parts uh, of me that whisper. Uh, untruths and and I don't know if you've heard the backstory, but but you were mentioning uh, you know Warren was actually working on the win when Dylan invited him down to the Will Turn, and uh, they had that little meeting and and Dylan played a couple of his of his songs and this affected Warren such that that um, when he returned to the studio he had a moment where he, he suddenly felt compelled to return the favor and he said we should do Knocking on Heaven's Door and you know the other guys in the room thought he might have been joking like this a little on the nose but. Uh, <laughs> You know, Warren's like, no, I, I mean it. And so cut to Warren realizing he couldn't remember the words. <laughs> but <laughs> okay. but uh, fortunately, uh, you know, Jorge uh, Calderon, his longtime collaborator, he had a Dylan tape uh, in his car. So he went out, he got the tape, they played it, they copied down the words, and then it was off to the races. But that was, it's got that kind of inspired, spontaneous energy. Like, uh, like even the end, you know, that open up, open up, open up. Like that was just, uh, you know. You know, you know that wasn't planned. That was just something that, that uh, you know, happened in the moment. And that's, I mean, to me, that makes a song. It's such a, uh, such a powerful moment. Yeah, it occurs to me that we don't have that many examples of cross covering, where you have people covering Dylan and then Dylan covering that person. I mean, there's some, obviously, but there aren't that many. And so it's interesting that you can contrast the vocal styles that they've got because you can literally say, all right, well, this is what a Warren Zevon voice sounds like singing Dylan lyrics. And this is what a Dylan voice sounds like covering Zevon's lyrics. Um, of the, exactly. Of the- yeah. Okay. No, no. And, 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 and I think maybe we talked about this last time I was on, but I've always found that Dylan treats other people's songs more delicately than he treats his, his own songs. Oh, so when he sings mutineer accidentally like a martyr. He's pretty faithful to the arrangement it, it's like he feels like i don't have the authority or the right <laughs> to monkey around with this like I, i'll go to town on my own songs but when i'm doing somebody else's songs you know i i, I really got to dial in and be careful here because because uh you know this is you know this is uh somebody else's work and it's and it's uh you know it's special to them of the covers that he did during that that year uh there were a year and change do you have a particular favorite of the ones that of the ones that he did well i, I love boom boom mancini he only did it once but mm. But I mean, the great thing about this stuff is you can hear, I mean, you can hear almost every one of the, there's bootlegs of almost every time he played every one of the songs. So, mm-hmm. but Mutineer is a great song. I mean, I mean, it, it, I mean, do you have any, I mean, do you have any um, thoughts about that, that song just uh, separate from Dylan's interpretation, but just about the song in, uh, uh, in and of itself? Yeah, I mean, as I said, I didn't know that it was a Warren Zevon song until Bob started covering it, and I really fell in love with it. First of all, I'm amazed at how I could see why Bob would like this song, because it is an indeterminate place and time. Uh, I mean, the, the phrase mutineer 
is such an old-timey phrase. Uh, it opens with a yo-ho-ho and a bottle of rum. Hoist the mainsail. Here I come. Ain't no room on board for the insincere. You're my witness. I'm your mutineer. And so, again, you know, it's it's got all this old-timey language, but it's mm-hmm. talking about this sort of you know, eternal thought of of romance and love and relationships. And I just think it's so, and again, the, the phrase, I'm your mutineer, is just loaded with so much, there's so much meaning into it. You know, you're so, it's like, what a, what a, what a bizarre phrase to use uh, in a romance song is a mutineer. Uh, and yet it, it seems so perfect. And so I could see why Bob would have loved it. And of course, in the second verse, when he sings, I was born to rock the boat. I mean, again, that, you know, good Lord. Some may sink, but we will float. Grab your coat. Let's get out of here. You're my witness. I'm your mutineer. And I'm glad you said, uh, you mentioned that when Bob was singing the songs, they sound like the Zevon arrangements. Because as you said, I think he is respecting them. And he doesn't want to, as you said, monkey with them too much. He's doing them like what you hear from the original artist. And the delicate, the delicacy that Dylan's vocal brings to the mutineer every time, because every uh, verse ends with, you're my witness, I'm your mutineer. And there's times where he stretches it out, where he's like, you're my witness, I'm your mutineer. And he just, re- and I'm, I'm horrible trying to imitate it. But the way he stretches it, and it's so delicate, and it's not the kind of song you would really expect to hear in a concert setting, because it's a slow ballad. But man, I when I heard it, in live, I was like, I was just was struck by it. And I think there's something to the fact that when they did do the, the tribute record, the Enjoy Every Sandwich record, it's Mutineer that they got from the Dylan records to be the, the you know, his his sample on that record. I mean, I just think it's just gorgeous. Well, you know, I was saying earlier that Zevon songs kind of fit into different categories. You got the, you know, the wild and wacky, the strange ones. And then you've got the, the really... Um, uh, uh, you know, uh, affecting sincere ones. And because Warren had this other side, when he, you know, when he went to this, when he, 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 he adopted this other stance, it, it, it took on more, um, uh, more significance. And, it, it, you know, it's funny for as much as he affected this, uh, anti, sentimental anti-modeling posture there are at least a half dozen to a dozen lines on every one zevon album that just tear me apart and as soon as he let your guard down he he slips one in and you know we're talking about mutineer there's one moment in particular from from uh, warren's last uh, appearance on letterman that does me in and it's during mutineer it's near the end it's the way he sings uh grab your coat let's get out of here and as he approaches that line there's a sudden softening of his expression after he sings grab your coat he blinks his eyes very slowly as he follows through with let's get out of here he raises his eyebrows and smirks uh, recognizing the significance of those words and it's mm-hmm. a very particular smirk you know it's the smirk of a man who who wants you to believe he's okay with the hand he's been dealt but is in fact really really bummed out and it's it's like he's trying to will himself into saying look i can laugh about this i had a good life it's all right but he can't quite bring himself to believe that it's just the sweetest saddest thing ever hmm. one of the things uh, that i again i appreciate about zivon uh and this is something i approached with with dylan songs is that there are some songs that warren zivon considering how how as i said how acidic he was and how sarcastic he was and how bitter he was in a lot of his songs and like rolling the headless thompson gunner is just like this crazy ass song but then when he would do a song that to me was very straightforward and very sweet you almost and i again i had this with bob you're almost like uh there's got to be some darker layer that i'm missing here because warren zivon wouldn't just do that 
but no, sometimes he would, you know, like, I mean, one of my favorite songs of his is tenderness on the block. And that's just a beautiful song. And it's a very, first of all, the arrangement is very upbeat and positive and, and uh, yeah. fast movie. But I mean, the lyrics are just very upbeat and very positive. And every, the first couple of times I heard it, I was like, I must not be getting this song. Cause this sounds too, Sounds yeah, too had, joyful yeah, for Warren There are a few like that. There are a few like that. I put Never Too Late for Love in that category. Reconsider Me. Reconsider uh, Me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's because he, you know, because he did that, that, uh, because he had those two sides, you know, it, it um, you know, you never knew what you were going to get, you know, as you, as you make your way through an album, you don't know what's, what's this ne- next, you know, what's the vibe of this next track going to be? But, right. but by the way, it's not lost on me that the last time I was on here, we talked about Black Muddy River. Now we're talking about Mutineer. There's a nautical <laughs> through line that's running through our, our I, conversations. You know, I know Bob has said in in, uh, in in interviews that he would have been, I think if he had not been a musician, he would have been a teacher. I think he said that was his, his, what he thought. But I mean, I really, I mean, not that he could have, I mean, I feel like Bob Dylan wants to be in the Navy or something. Or maybe, or go back in the past and like be serve on a schooner or something. Cause he just, he seems like he is so romance with that kind of the seas. And I mean, of course, you know, the, everything involving the ocean and the sea is rife with metaphor. And when you're a songwriter, you need every metaphor you can get your hands on, but there's something about, I could, I could, you know, I could picture Dylan going through the Zevon songbook and figure out which ones I want to play. Lawyers, Guns, and Money. Again, I could see that's that's a very funny song, very dark, but it's a very funny song. Boom, Boom, Man City seems seems Dylan is accidentally like a martyr, a sad love song. But I almost picture him just going through and like, oh, Mutineer. Yeah, that's how, yeah. All right, because he, well, think he thinks of himself yeah. like that. Well, I think it was Samuel Johnson who said, every man thinks meanly of himself for not having been a soldier and not having been at sea. And I think Dylan... Uh, yeah, I mean, he 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 readily inhabits the uh, that role as yeah. uh, as as uh, adventurer and uh, man of the man of the high seas. <laughs> Bob Dylan, man of the high seas. Yeah, I said it's it's. I just thought when I go back and I listen to um, some of my favorite, you know, Dylan covers. I've never done an al- uh, an episode yet on Dylan covering other people. I got to get to that at some point. We did the Black Money River, of course, but I've never done a whole show on some of my favorites. But when I go back and I go through my Dylan playlist, I really pull out his cover of Mutineer quite a bit. I just think it's so beautiful. And again, I, you know, I mean, Bob Dylan's a guy like everybody else. I'm sure he has his faults and things like that. And maybe, you know, borrows a little too liberally from some people for songs that he doesn't give credit to yada, yada, yada. But I, I, I was so, again, I just thought it was such a touching gesture that he would pay tribute to Warren Zevon. And again, and not in a mawkish way, you know, not in a like, oh, you know, you know, like, I mean, not that Bob ever talks much from the stage anyway, but just playing the songs. It's like, that's all you need to say. You're just playing the song. Everyone knows what you're saying by playing these songs when you know that you could be playing a million of your other songs. No, I agree with you. I mean, when people say, uh, oh, you know, Bob didn't uh, say, uh, you know, didn't say uh, hello, friends, and, uh, you know, how great it is to be in Cleveland. Right. Uh, I think, you know, he's, it's what you were saying earlier. A singer expresses himself through song. And when Bob Dylan and his band show up to your town, he's not there to tell you something. He's there to show you something. <laughs> and, and, and that meeting you were talking about earlier where, uh, uh, Dylan, he'd already began covering, uh, Zevon songs and he invites him to the, to the will turn. I think they were, it was a th- three night stand. And, uh, uh, I think it was John Perella's at the New York Times wrote a big piece about that. And, and I guess he, he talked to Zevon and, and apparently, so Warren's, uh, 
you know, brought up to Dylan's dressing room and they just kind of stare at each other because, you know, <laughs> obviously Dylan, it's important for him to, for Warren to know, you know, that he's thinking about him. But when the guy's standing right, right in front of you, it, you know, it's difficult to express yourself. So apparently he just said, I hope, you know, they had some chit chat and he said, I hope you like what you hear. Wow. Wow. And actually there's a great, there's a great addendum to that story. So Warren unfortunately had to, had to slip out of the show early because he was, began to feel ill and mm. fatigued. And so when he gets home, he calls his friend, uh, the writer, Carl Hyacin and Hyacin wasn't home. So Warren left him, <laughs> Warren left him a voicemail. He said, well, I just got covered by Bob Dylan. That's a sure sign of doom. <laughs> what an amazing thing though, to say his friend, Carl Hyacin is <laughs> calling this world renowned author. It's sort of amazing. Ward Zivon's got all those people in his, well, to be account. fair, he didn't pick up. I could call Carl Heisen well, and well, have him I, not pick up. <laughs> if you have Carl Heisen's number, you can share that with me off the air. So, uh, yeah, like I said it's it's I don't know. It's just it's a really beautiful thing. And like I said I've Warren Zevon. I can't imagine what his commentary would be on the world situation we're in now. Uh, but I mean, you know, just a guy taken much too soon. And you know, I do wonder about when Bob Dylan looks around and, and sees that so many of the people that have, you know, that he's come up with and followed behind him are, are no sort of no longer around. I, you know, it has to feel a little bit like a last man standing sort of thing sometimes. I mean, again, not to be terribly grim, but I mean, it's, it's just kind of amazing. No, we're talking to, about Warren Zevon, man. Grim it up. That's true. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, uh, but, but, you know, he's, he's been doing tributes to different people over the decades, whether it's Johnny Cash or George Harrison and seeing his friends, or Tom Petty depart one way or the other and Bob sort of still standing and doing these things. And it's just, I just, it's one of them. I always try and separate the music from the man. You know, I, I like to think that the man is a good guy and he's a good, you know, whatever. He's an upstanding person. And, and uh, we all have our faults, obviously, but I, but at the same time, I don't concern myself terribly with the man because that's not what I'm examining. I'm examining the, the art, and the art is separate from the man. Um, I hope people do the same for a podcast guest. I, I hope they I do. I hope they can separate my character from my, from my acute observations on this I, program. Harry, I'm dead in the water if they don't, because I'm here every week. Uh, but, uh, but, I mean, but, it, but then there were moments like this where Bob Dylan does something of such generosity of spirit that I say, oh, okay, yeah, it's not just the music. I like this guy. This guy does things in a way that's classy and cool and yet is organic to what he does that I just think it's wonderful. And I said, I, the, the fact that he did all these covers together and the fact that it's on the, the tribute record, the Enjoy Every Sandwich, is just great that he's um, – it's, it's sort of funny, too, I think, for that tribute record that he didn't go into the studio to record me near it's it's a concert it's just one of the concerts and in some ways it's almost like that's more perfect because that you're capturing the moment that dylan was paying tribute to zivon as opposed to going back later and trying to recapture that feeling in the studio no you're getting it live as it were and that reminds me of like you have to think about that has every like every dylan concert been recorded i guess by sony music so like every concert is on some database somewhere Imagine what we could put together if we all had access to those tapes. Well, and you mentioned, uh, speaking of tributes, I mean, the most recent tribute, of course, you mentioned Murder Most Foul earlier. And, uh, you know, when I heard that, played for Carl Wilson, too, looking far, far away down Gower Avenue. Mm. I mean, 
I don't know how many people listening to that song would know that Carl Wilson organized the choral arrangement that, you know, caps off the studio version of Desperados Under the Eaves. And, you know, which incidentally gets my vote for the best song outro ever. But, <laughs> you know, like, can we give it up for Dylan doing his research here? He could have easily gone with play for Warren Zevon. Yeah. But he dug that extra bit deeper and I love him for that. It's, it's a bank shot reference. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just bummed he didn't do the air conditioner hum. <laughs> yeah it's it bob is uh, i i i can't imagine what he's got stirred up in this brain of his he remembers well and, and, and it, it, I, you know we were talking earlier i was saying you know i've been thinking about warren uh well i'm always thinking about him in you know to one degree or another but particularly recently and uh you know i mentioned uh you know he's, he he composed the soundtrack for covid but also like when i was listening to rough and rowdy ways one of my first thoughts uh was man this has big time zevon energy Mm-hmm. And same with Tempest. Like a lot of artists, Dylan's age, are either reflecting upon the halcyon days of yore. They're writing these moving, peaceful songs as they as they prepare to make their earthly exit. If we're going to get grim, but mm. meanwhile, Dylan, he's got no time for that because he's out there murdering folks. He's visiting morgues. <laughs> he's combing <laughs> through graveyards. He's dragging corpses through the mud. I mean, Dylan, seriously, Dylan becoming obsessed with dragging dead bodies around. <laughs> It's so friggin' funny. It was my favorite aspect of Tempest, and he's only dialed up the wackiness on Rough and Rowdy Ways, and it's, it's the, the ability to make the grim seem ridiculous and the ridiculous seem grim was what I loved about Warren Zevon, and God bless Bob for taking up the mantle. <laughs> you do have to wonder sometimes if Bob doesn't, as I mentioned, you see some of his friends uh, as they have fallen away and that we don't get new music anymore from Tom Petty, we don't get new music anymore from George Harrison, we don't get new music anymore from Johnny Cash or Warren Zevon. Does Bob feel some sort of I mean, obviously, he's he's an um, he's an influence. He's influenced, and he's an influencer of all of that stuff. But sometimes I wonder if he doesn't do that sort of to like in his own mind grab a line from a Tom with that, that he would imagine would be great in a Tom Petty song and put it in one of his songs because Tom Petty's not there to do it anymore. Sometimes I think about that. He does because his song Bob, especially as you're talking about in Rough and Rowdy Ways. These songs are such grab bag of imagery from all over the place, from a thousand years ago to, you know, the factory recording in 1987, that I, sometimes I think he does that. And he, he can only imagine like, ah, oh, this would be a great Johnny Cash line. I'll put it here in the song. Because, yeah, as, you, as you're saying it, I can hear Warren Zevon singing some of the stuff on Rough and Rowdy Ways. Oh, my own version of you, for sure. <laughs> He's probably the only other person who could. Maybe so. I think that's fine. <laughs> it's possible. So, uh, is there anything else we want to say about Bob and Warren Zevon before we sign off, Harry? Well, let's just tie. Let's get down to the uh, the crux of the matter here. What What do you think? What do you think um, is the quality that connects the two of them? Intelligence, I would say. I feel like there's a there's a uh, there there a wit to it. Uh, I again, I feel like in, again, this is not. To, to insult either one of them, but I feel like Warren Zevon is a sort of weirdly more distilled Bob Dylan in some ways, a bitterer Bob Dylan, and, and again, in some ways. But uh, I just think there's, in, with it, when I got, I mean, I don't know if I would have appreciated Warren Zevon had I not been a fan of Dylan first. I think Dylan kind of opens that door to your mind a little bit, and then you can appreciate other things later on. Um, but I just, when I, I think about what, I mean, aside from just the, the, the beauty of the songs, the melodies, but there was something about his lyrics that just had this wonderfully intelligent feel behind them, that there was maybe more there than the words were suggesting. Uh, Warren Zevon leaves a lot out in a lot of his songs. You have to really piece things together in a lot of ways. Uh, and I just think I, that sort of, that thing just really appealed to me. You feel like you have to lean in 
uh, with a lot of Warren Zevon songs uh, because they're easy to mistake for being more simplistic than they are. And uh, I, I appreciate that. that you don't, he does, he's not doing all the work for you. You have to kind of meet him at least halfway. And I, that's one of the things I like about Dylan. And that's something I like about Warren Zevon is just, you feel like you have to, I got to hear that a couple of times to really pick up on all that. And that's, Something yeah, I've I mean, always liked about him. I mean, full disclosure, I got like I got like an hour and a half of sleep last night. And I was thinking about this. I was <laughs> thinking about this. I got up today, and I was making notes. And I think the, the thing to me is is I, I think in some ways, I mean, I don't want to do you know, I, I don't I don't have a hidden entrance into into Bob Dylan's head, but I, I feel like in some ways he he sees somebody like Zevon as almost the artist he was meant to be, in the sense that Dylan has always been more at the periphery of the mainstream than in the middle of it like 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 take paul mccartney another uh, giant of the same generation like mccartney just put out a, rec- a new record between the beatles and wings and all this little stuff he has 32 number one singles i mean true mm. number ones billboard hot 100 dylan hasn't had any there were fevered stories last year about murder most foul briefly topping the rock digital songs chart <laughs> and the number two that week was time for me to fly a song by ario speedwagon which came out in 1978 okay not exactly the stiffest competition matter of fact there were four REO Speedwagon songs in the top 20 that week. Wow. But I digress. But, but, but I don't know if you saw, but actually, I don't know if you saw this, but like, you know, a couple of weeks ago, a month ago, maybe, I don't know when this is going to air, but uh, on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, there was a question. Okay. Uh, when something about, I don't remember the exact phrasing, but when Rough and Rowdy Ways, uh, with Rough and Rowdy Ways making the charts, who became the first singer to have a top 40 album every decade from the 60s to the 2020s? Okay. The choices were Willie Nelson, Cher, Dylan, and Barbara Streisand. Slam dunk, right? Slam dunk. Contestant was baffled. Contestant was baffled, right? <laughs> asked their lifeline. He was baffled. Used another lifeline to ask Jimmy Kimmel, who's the host now. He was unsure, but through process of elimination, he says he leans toward Dylan. Okay, how much do you think this question was worth, Rob? This was not the first question. This was question 11. It was worth (laughs) $64,000. Okay? I could really use $64,000. My point being, Dylan, you know, it's it's easy to lose track of in our little world here, but he's not exactly Mr. Mainstream. And and, and he said this himself. Remember, in that, I think it's in the same Flanagan. The interview with Bill Flanagan that the Zevon quote comes from where he says, you know, I'm not Daltrey or Townsend, McCartney, the Beach Boys, Elton, Billy Joel. He says, those guys had conspicuous hits, uh, mainstream stuff that played in the culture on a pervasive level. My stuff is different. It's more desperate. You know, he said his songs don't fit into a mainstream culture. You know, he says, some of my songs have crossed over, but they were all done by other singers. Whatever passes for pop music, I couldn't do it then and I can't do it now. And then he tells this, this, uh, involved tale about the traveling performers who passed through his town as a kid, the sideshow performers. And most of the kids were in the tilt a world on the roller coaster. But to him, that was a nightmare, you know, quote, all the giddiness, the artificiality of it, the sledgehammer of life. It didn't make sense or seem real. The stuff off the main road was where force of reality was. And to me, that explains why Dylan would have liked Warren Zevon. Warren wrote about the stuff off the main road. You know, mm. Dylan broke through. He subverted the system by sheer force of will. He was a furnace of ambition, and he was so talented, it was impossible to deny him a seat at the table. But I think he still sees his songs as belonging on the fringes, as, as being about the fringes. And, you know, that said, he still had great success. You know, he just sold his publishing rights for hundreds of millions of dollars. He's been a figure in the public consciousness for almost 60 years, whereas Warren, his songs really were on the fringes. You know, he was on the fringes, and that informed his art. There's a thing he said, which I love. He said, I never really got rich, and that might have been lucky. There's more of a human exchange of ideas and feelings to be had on the bus stop than over the phone with your accountant. 
And if you're rich, you spend a lot of time on the phone with your accountant. And, you know, Warren had certain struggles that took him out of the game. But even when he was locked in, what he wrote was profoundly uh, unusual. And I think that's another thing that Dylan would have respected about Warren's work is that as much as Warren was influenced by Dylan, you know, his ex-wife uh, and friend Crystal said Dylan was Warren's singular inspiration. Uh, his work was still wholly his own. There's nobody who wrote songs like Warren Zevon before Warren Zevon wrote songs, not Dylan, not anybody. And there was nobody who wrote songs like Warren Zevon when Warren Zevon was writing songs. And there's been nobody who's written songs like Warren Zevon since Warren Zevon stopped writing songs. And if there's one thing Bob Dylan has been consistent about his whole career, it's his objection to any and all attempts to claim or categorize him. He wants to be perceived as an individual rather than a representative of any group, because he is an individual. And I think in Warren Zevon, he would have recognized uh, another who was like no other. A more fitting tribute to the work of Warren Zevon, I cannot imagine. So we're going to end it there, Harry. Thank you so much for coming back and talking with me. You know I always enjoy recording with you, and we need to do this more often. Well, before we leave, um, can we decide, am I your witness and you're my mutineer? Or are, <laughs> are you my witness and uh, I'm your mutineer, or both? We'll leave that for the audience to decide. Uh, if you want to vote on uh, how that works, go to our Twitter feed at pod underscore Dylan, and you can let us know uh, which one of us is the mutineer, which one of us is the witness. So, Harry, why don't you tell people where they can find you on the Internet? Well, I'm at uh, uh, Harry Hugh uh, on Twitter, and uh, I've got a few uh, – YouTube channels, and uh, I try to keep those uh, under the radar, lest the uh, Dylan police come knocking at the door. <laughs> but you know, if you see a, if you see an interesting Bob Dylan uh, video out there, there's maybe a I don't know, fifteen percent chance uh, I'm the person who put it there. Absolutely. All right. Well, again, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. And, and next time uh, we got to come up with another. Uh, we got to kind of come up with another. Uh, Bob Dylan boat cover to talk about. There you go. Yeah, we'll find some other boat-related songs. So, of course, everybody, uh, if you want to follow the show, go to the website, firewaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. As I mentioned, we're on Twitter at pod underscore Dylan. And then finally, if you want to support the Fine Water Podcast Network, go to patreon.com slash Podcast. There you can unlock various rewards, one of which is to be name-checked on a show of your choice. So big thanks to Robert Ward. Steve Cronin, Henry Bernstein, Max Hutzel, and Sebastian Krog for their support of Pod Dylan. So everybody, go out. If you haven't, go out and listen to some Warren Zevon. I mean, if you're listening to Pod Dylan, I don't have to tell you to go out to listen to Bob Dylan. You already do that. But uh, if you haven't sampled the delights of Warren Zevon, go and do that. There is some great, great, great stuff out there. And so uh, that's going to do it. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you later. Bye.